Hello everybody, it's Daniel again, and before going any further, I want to thank you for joining us while we worship in song and, and music, and I want to thank you for joining us to worship while we were reading God's Word. As Elida mentioned, if you want to be partners with us in, let's say, singing, worship, or when we start having services or graphics, if you want to partner with us, want to volunteer, or help us, we have a ministry form on Linktree that you can fill out and we'll send you a link to a group and you'll hear about ways that you could help out and we encourage you to do that. But for now, let us go to today's sermon. Today marks the second preview service where we are going to the second service of our series called Excerpts from Luke. Last time we met back in Easter, we discussed the resurrection that was the first excerpt that we focused on now today we are focusing on another excerpt and another passage that luke wrote that i believe is central to christianity and yet it is one of the most neglected themes that is the ascension the ascension of jesus Christ. We will be reading where we left off last time, Luke 24, but instead of starting in the beginning of Luke 24 of that chapter, we are going to Luke 24, verse 50 to 53. And it says this, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And now we close the book of Luke, the first volume that Luke wrote that we have within our scriptures. And we're going to the second book that Luke wrote. And that second volume is known as the book of Acts. But before we open the book of Acts, you may be wondering, why is that book called Acts? Well, some of you may know that within the book of Acts, we find the Acts of the Apostles. But we may fall into error if we reduce the book of Acts as just the Acts of the Apostles. The spotlight changes here and there on who the Bible's focusing, or the book of Acts is focusing on. Sometimes it focuses on Peter, sometimes it focuses on Stephen, sometimes it focuses on Paul. But there is a common character that is throughout the entire book of Acts. And it's not one of the apostles, but it's rather the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the common character since chapter 1 all the way to the end of the book of Acts. So, while everybody knows the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles, we should not reduce that book to just the book of the apostles, the book of Acts of the Apostles. John Stott, he suggested another title for the book of Acts. It's a bit more cumbersome, it's longer, but at least it gives us an idea of what the book of Acts is all about. John Stott said, the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through his apostles. So in the book of Acts, we find the words and deeds of Jesus being done through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we're not going to call the book of Acts 
the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by the Spirit through his apostles because that is long. But at least it gives us an idea of what the book of Acts is all about. And we start today in Acts 1 and we will go from verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Today we read from Luke and we read from Acts. When we read from Luke, we saw that Jesus took his apostles, his disciples, to the vicinity of Bethany, where he blessed them. And as he was blessing them, Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples were joyful and worshipped Jesus. They even went afterwards to the temple to worship God. In Luke and Acts, I mean, when we first read it, we see the prologue first. He, Luke is introducing the book and he's also telling us who the recipient, the person who receives the book is. And that person is Theophilus. Theophilus, he, he appears in both books. He also appears in Luke as the recipient. That's how people have connected the authorship from the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. But People have wondered if Theophilus was an actual person. The name Theophilus means lover of God or friend of God. Therefore, some scholars have suggested that the recipient, the person who receives this book, is anyone who loves God or is a friend of God. Other scholars, and I'm probably with this thought of mine, uh, other scholars suggest that this was actually a person who maybe even sponsored or was the patron of Luke's work, who supported financially Luke to write these books. And within these books, we find that Jesus Christ, he has risen and he has appeared to the disciples and he has shown that he has resurrected. He gave many proofs and he also taught about the kingdom. Eventually, while he was eating with 
the disciples. He taught about a gift that the Father was going to give. And that gift was the Holy Spirit. The disciples, when they heard about the Holy Spirit, they were so excited and they wondered, is it at this time when the kingdom will be restored to Israel? Jesus answered that it wasn't for them to know, that the Father knows, but they are going to receive the Holy Spirit and they should go build a kingdom in the meantime. Two angels appear, told the disciples as Jesus ascended, after Jesus ascended, that just as Jesus ascended with clouds and all divine, he will descend. I pray that as we unpack this text, we will learn to respond to the ascension through worshiping Jesus. I pray that through when we unpack this text, you will have a better understanding of the kingdom of God. I pray that as we unpack this text, you will have a better understanding of the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that you will partner with the Holy Spirit to build God's kingdom here on earth. And I know that it's not on the screen, but I also pray that through unpacking this text, you may gain this biblical hope for the return of our King, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for inspiring Luke to write this through the Holy Spirit, God. I pray that we may give our attention to your word, Lord, and that we may understand what you are telling us, God. Let us see the ascension through the biblical lenses and let us appreciate it. Let us, when we see the ascension, be moved to worship. When we hear about the kingdom, let us know what that means and let us be inspired to build the kingdom. I pray that we may have a better understanding of the Holy Spirit and how it cleans us. And I pray that we may partner with the Holy Spirit to build God's kingdom. And I know that we find ourselves in challenging times. But give us that hope for the return of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we opened up the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus ascended publicly. Jesus could have descended secretly. He could have descended in private. But Jesus ascended publicly. And why did he ascend publicly? Why did he choose to ascend in front of the disciples? He could have done it privately, but he didn't. The Bible doesn't tell us why Jesus ascended publicly. But scholars and other theologians have taken the opportunity to speculate on why Jesus ascended publicly. Timothy Keller gives us two cents and he says, why did he do it that way? Why did he do it publicly? We can only speculate, but it may have been for the same reason we have a coronation ceremony. And I think this speculation, this, this theory that Timothy Keller makes, makes sense. Because when we look at the ascension, the ascension was a kingly act. When Jesus ascended to heaven, 
We see with the writings with, of Paul, with Stephen, with other biblical authors, that when Jesus ascended, he was ascending to his throne, to be at the right hand of the Father, to be at a place of power. Therefore, it makes sense to see this as a coronation ceremony. And maybe for us, because we're Americans and we don't live under a monarchy, it, does, it seems so distant. But maybe we could find some similarities with when we inaugurate the president, when the president-elect finally becomes the president, the actual president. But even then, it's just a little peck of what the coronation ceremony of Jesus Christ was actually, what it actually was. We could speculate, we could wonder how we would have responded if we were at this coronation ceremony, if we were present, if we were witnesses. Yes, through the writings of Luke, we become witnesses. But I wonder if we were firsthand witnesses, how we would have responded. Maybe we would have been shocked, amazed, crying, seeing King Jesus rising, ascending to his throne. How would we have responded. Although we could ponder on how we would have responded, we know for a fact how the disciples responded, how other humans responded to this ascension. The disciples responded with joy and with worship. Joy and worship followed the ascension. And I, I just love thinking of how Luke 24 started. Luke 24 started, if you remember, with sadness. It was a sad time. The disciples were perplexed. The disciples were mourning the death of Jesus Christ. They had thought that Jesus was more than a prophet, that he was the Messiah, but because he had died, their dreams, their visions of the renewed kingdom had also died. They were upset. They were in mourning. You remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were upset. They were sad. But now, that Jesus had ascended. They were full of joy and they wanted to worship God. And now Jesus was leaving them, but yet they were full of joy and full of worship. They wanted to worship Jesus. What changed? They realized that their king has conquered death and has risen to rule forever. The ascension should remind us that Jesus is not dead, that he has conquered death, that he is king, and that he has gone to his throne to rule forever. And as we close the book of Luke, I want to make an observation from the bookends. In the very end, we read that the disciples afterwards went to the temple to worship God. If we go to the beginning, Luke 1, 8 through 10, we read a story about Zechariah, who is the uncle of Jesus, the father of John the Baptist. And he said, and Luke writes, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So in the beginning, we see 
Zechariah and the priest worshiping at the temple. And now at the end, we see the disciples of Jesus going to the temple to worship. Worship has been in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in God's gospel, central. Michael Wilcox said, Luke ends his first volume where he began it. God's people praising him in his temple. For the temple means the place where God meets man. The gospel began there at the heart of the old Jewish faith. For if in those days God and man were ever to come together, that was the place where the meeting would be. In the religion of the ancient Israelites, to them belonged the sonship, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. What has been achieved in the course of the gospel story is that a new way has been opened by which man and God can be reunited. There is a new temple. So it is in the temple that Luke not only begins but also ends his gospel. The important thing now, however, is not the old building which is doomed to destruction, but the community of Jesus' people gathered there. Henceforth, it is they who are God's temple, and among them God is to be met with them. For them, and for them alone, life is a meaningful thing. God's word is a living reality, and the proclamation of the good news is a consuming passion. They know the Savior, and they want the world to know Him too. We'll talk more in the future about how God's people, how they are, God's temple, but for now just recognize that the gospel of Jesus, that his ministry, his, his death, his resurrection, it did not diminish the value of worship. Rather, it brought God's people together and it emphasized worship. It brought worship into a new perspective and it probably exalted worship too. Worship and God's people are central to God's gospel. And we end Luke, the Gospel of Luke, there for today. I am sure in this church's lifetime we will return to the Gospel of Luke and we'll dive deep into that Gospel, into that book. But for now, for now we do close it. And, when we, and now we open the second volume of Luke that we have within the Scriptures. And within that second volume, within Acts, we read about the Ascension again. So maybe while you were reading, while we were reading in the beginning about Acts, right after we read Luke, you probably felt that we had read some of the, the things. And yes, we did, because we find the ascension in both of the volumes. But some people have taken the liberty to use these two different accounts to discredit the ascension. However, we don't see any contradictions between these two different accounts. And we do, just see, we do see that they're just different perspectives of the ascension. In Luke, it's really emphasized that they went to the vicinity of Bethany, that Jesus was blessing them. But in Acts, we find a more in-depth detail of the ascension. We focus on the discussion that Jesus had with the apostles. And it was a very common Greco-Roman literary practice to start the second volume with the ending of the first volume. So, here, Luke is starting the second volume, starting Acts, 
what the ending of his first volume, Luke. So it was a common practice to do that. And that's why we see the ascension in both. Nathan Brassfield has also said that the reason that we see the ascension in both books is that while the ascension of Christ is a closure, it is also a beginning. In Acts, the closing scene of Luke becomes the opening scene and the Holy Spirit is connected to the ascension of Christ. And we see in Acts that Jesus Christ begins to teach about the kingdom. We'll talk more about the kingdom. We'll even have a series in the future. But for right now, just this moment, we'll talk about it again later in this message. But for right now, just notice that Jesus, when he started his kingdom, when he started his ministry, guess what he taught about? The kingdom. When he was teaching throughout, towards the end of his ministry, he was teaching about the kingdom. When he, after he died, guess what he taught about? The kingdom. The kingdom has been a central theme before the crucifixion and after the resurrection. Jesus saw the kingdom to be so central to his message. The kingdom of God is central to the message of Jesus. On one occasion, while they were eating, the Bible tells us, while Jesus was eating with the disciples, Jesus begins to say that they give them the command to go to Jerusalem and that they will receive the gift from the Father. And that gift was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus compares the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the baptism that John was doing in waters. And I, I love the comparison that Cyril of Jerusalem makes. He says this, As he who plunges into the waters and is baptized is encompassed on all sides by the waters, so were they also baptized completely by the Holy Spirit. The water, however, flows round the outside only, but the Spirit baptizes also the soul within, and that completely. Where the waters of baptism fail to clean, the Holy Spirit comes and cleans. I encourage you all to be baptized in waters. I, I think that every Christian needs to make that public declaration. And if you haven't, contact us. But let us not neglect the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The waters clean, cleanses us outwardly, but the Spirit comes and cleans us within. The waters cannot clean your heart, your pain, your sorrows, your, pain, your, your suffering, your sins, but the Spirit comes and cleans us within. It cleans us from the pain that we are suffering, the hurt, from the mistakes, the sins that have marked our, our heart crimson red and the spirit comes and cleans it makes it white as snow so I encourage you wherever you are at to pray to believe and receive the Holy Spirit and have it come and clean your heart the waters clean us outwardly but the spirit cleans us inwardly when the disciples heard this, they were so excited. They wanted to, they, they believed, look, this baptism of the Holy Spirit sounds so great. So is it at this time that you will redeem, restore the kingdom to Israel? But unfortunately, this, this questioning 
that it shows that the disciples, despite the hundreds of teachings that Jesus gave concerning the kingdom, the, the disciples still had a misconstrued view on the kingdom. Jesus meant one thing by the kingdom, and those who listened to him meant another. Like the, like the apostles, they heard, the, heard Jesus, and Jesus was, they had a different understanding. The, the disciples had their own understanding of the kingdom. How, how did they view it? The Jews were always vividly conscious of being God's chosen people. They took that to mean they were destined for special privilege and for worldwide power. The whole course of their history proved that, humanly speaking, that could never be. Palestine was a little country no more than 120 miles long by 40 miles wide. It had its days of independence, but it had become subject in turn to the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. So the Jews began to look forward to a day when God would break directly into human history and establish that world sovereignty of which they dreamed. They thought of the kingdom in political terms. Imagine this, if you were in their shoes, if you were under an oppressive government, just as Rome was, and God told you that he will give you a kingdom, that he will restore it, that one day everything will be better. Of course, I, I, we may be quick to judge these Jewish disciples, but if we were in the same place and we were under oppressive, an oppressive government, we would probably be thinking the same thing and have a misconstrued view of the kingdom. We would view the, the, the kingdom just as the disciples thought of the kingdom. The disciples thought of the kingdom in political terms. And while, yes, the kingdom can be political, Jesus taught that it's so much more. This scholar says, how, does, how did Jesus see it? Let us look at the Lord's Prayer. In it, there are two petitions side by side. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is characteristic of Hebrew style, as any verse of the Psalms will show, to say things in two parallel forms, the second of which repeats or amplifies the first. That is what these two petitions do. The second is a definition of the first. Therefore, we see that by the kingdom, Jesus meant a society upon earth where God's will would be as perfectly done as it is in heaven. Because of that, it would be a kingdom founded on love and power. Here, the scholar writes that when you look at the Lord's Prayer, we see how Jesus understood the kingdom. It's very common in Hebrew poetry to say one statement, and then the second statement elaborates the first statement. So here Jesus says, your kingdom come. And then the second one elaborates on what that means. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come here? And it means that people are doing God's will here on earth as they would in heaven. Therefore, we could have this concise definition of the kingdom. The kingdom is a society upon earth where God's will would be as perfectly done as it is in heaven. And Jesus taught, if we, we, we could expound on this and talk about the implications, but let us just focus on what Luke and what the gospel shows us about the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom. Jesus taught that the kingdom was at hand. 
Jesus said that it has come, but at the same time, he said that it will come. So we can tell that, yes, people are doing, are doing God's will here on earth as they would in heaven. But we see that not everybody is doing God's will here on earth. So it has started. People have begun to do it, especially Jesus Christ and especially those who have the Holy Spirit within them. They have started to do God's will, but it's not fully here. There's still pain. There's still suffering. There's still wrongdoing. There's still lies. There's still murder. There's still wars. There's still horrible things. Therefore, the kingdom is not fully here, but Jesus has begun it. People have used this term, and I've mentioned it before, scholars have used that Jesus has inaugurated, the inaugurated kingdom. Jesus has begun the kingdom. Jesus has launched the kingdom. So while the disciples had a misconstrued view of the kingdom, Jesus took the opportunity to answer, look, it's not for you to know when the kingdom will fully be here. The Father knows. But it's not for you to know. And I, I want to focus on that for a little bit. What, why, why didn't God just tell us when the kingdom will fully be here? I love what the scholar said, the scholar Marshall. He said that since this is God's secret, there is no place for human speculation. A point that might will be borne in mind by those who still anxiously try to calculate the probable course of events in the last days. Instead of indulging in wishful thinking or apocalyptic speculation, the disciples must accomplish their task of being witnesses to Jesus. The scope of their task is worldwide. It begins with Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and it stretches to the end of the earth. We could have, God could have told us when the kingdom would fully be here. Say, Jesus said, oh, it's going to happen on such and such date. I feel that some of us may be anxious for that day. Oh, it's all going to happen here. Maybe it would hurt us in our, in our evangelism. Maybe we would procrastinate. We're like, oh, we have so much time. We'll let the next generation take care of building the kingdom. But instead, God just keeps it for himself so we don't have to be anxiously interpreting signs or a, 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 a rhyme, not a rhyme, a riddle or a, a just... Uh, numbers and see how that mean or how it means or we would procrastinate God just kept it for himself and instead you know what Jesus told us instead look don't worry about when the fullness of the kingdom will be here instead you're getting the Holy Spirit and you are going to receive power to be witnesses of me to Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to the ends of the world, to everywhere. You have the power. When is the kingdom coming? God knows. But you're getting the spirit to go out and start building the kingdom now. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, we do misunderstand the Holy Spirit sometimes. I, I like what N.T. Wright wrote. It's, it's kind of funny when I say N.T. Wright wrote. But this is what N.T. Wright said about the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming. He said, Despite what you might think from some excitement in the previous generation about the new experience, uh, about the new spiritual experiences, God doesn't give people the Holy Spirit in order to enjoy the spiritual equivalent of a day at Disneyland. 
Of course, if you're downcast and gloomy, the fresh wind of, the, of God's Spirit can and often does give you a new perspective on everything and above all grants a sense of God's presence, love, comfort, and even joy. But this is the perfect fit. But the point of the Holy Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that He is Lord that he has won the victory over the forces of evil, that a new world, world has opened up, and that we are to help make it happen. The kingdom has come. It's not fully here, but you have received the Spirit to go and build the kingdom to the entire world, be witnesses of Jesus Christ. You have received the power to do that. After... Afterwards, Jesus ascended to heaven. And I'm about to close. And when he ascends, he ascended as divine. Especially the Hebrew Bible, if we look at Daniel 7 especially, we see that clouds represented divinity. Therefore, when Jesus ascended with clouds, this was a sign that Jesus was ascending as divine. Two men appear, two angels appear, which should remind us maybe a little bit of Luke 24 in the beginning when two men appeared to the disciples who found the empty tomb. And these two angels share that just as Jesus ascended, he will descend. Just as he ascended as a, di a divine being, as God with clouds, he will descend. Instead of coming this time on a donkey, he will come on a horse. He will come victoriously and everybody will know that he is king. Every knee will bow at that time. And at that time, there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, no more suffering, there will be joy, no more pandemics, no more sickness, no more. There will be joy, and we should have hope. How do we respond to all of this? We should have hope that Jesus is coming, that yes, right now it's kind of rough, because the kingdom is not fully here. But let us have hope for the day that Jesus returns. We should also respond to the ascension to everything that we have heard through worship. Just as the disciples, they, they worshiped after Jesus ascended because they knew that their king has conquered death and has risen to rule forever. Let us also worship. We should also have the Spirit come and clean us, cleanse us. Look, water baptism, we all should be baptized in waters in Jesus' name. We should. But... Let us not neglect, let us have the Spirit come and clean, cleanse us inwardly. Clean our pain, our suffering. And let us recognize that the Spirit, in addition to cleaning us, it has enabled us, it has empowered us to be witnesses. So as we wait for our King, the Spirit has come so we could partner with Him to build the kingdom here. And we'll talk more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit next time we gather, because when we gather, we will talk about the day of Pentecost, the start of the church. And I am excited. I hope that we could see you there. We will be meeting at Gravity Church. Elida has given the details, and we may put it on social media too. But we are excited for that. But for now, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything that you have done. Thank you for the word that you have spoken. We really pray that we may worship you. That when we see the ascension, we see Jesus ascending at the right hand, at a place of power. 
at his throne. Let us worship as a result. I pray, God, that we may also learn about the importance of the kingdom and that you have sent your Holy Spirit to clean us. We don't have to deal with this pain with all this baggage. The Spirit can come and clean us. And we should partner with the Holy Spirit to build your kingdom. Let us, let us ask while we're living week to week, this week, throughout this week, let's ask the Spirit, how, how can we build the kingdom? How am I witnessing about your goodness, Jesus? I pray this in your holy name. Amen.